Welcome to the D-Free Podcast, keeping you in the black, bringing you the pulse of spiritual, mental, and financial health. Uh, we're so busy living from, from check to check in our communities that we don't budget. And as a result, if you don't budget, you can't ever have uh, anything over and above that that you budgeted to save. And if you don't... Hello, and welcome to the D-Free Podcast in the Black. I'm your host, Tamika Stembridge, Executive Director of the D-Free Foundation. And I'm here with my co-host, Dr. Soares. Welcome, welcome. Good to have everybody. I can't wait to hear from our guest. Yes, we have an amazing guest who is a walking encyclopedia of finance. His name is Obi McKenzie, and he is the Managing Director for BlackRock. Welcome, Obi. Thank you, and thank you for having me. Nice to be with you. You know, why don't we really start by asking Obi to explain BlackRock, because (laughs) we talked to a lot of black people, and I just want to make sure that they understand what Black Rock is. So they don't make well, any assumptions. <laughs> we're, we're, the, we're the largest institutional asset manager in the world. Uh, we have basically two businesses. One is asset management, meaning that we uh, uh, represent other people's money, largely institutions uh, and individuals, of course. We have both sides of the market, but we manage uh, $6.3 trillion of other people's money. Uh, we're the largest in the world. We, we are in 25 major cities, uh, countries in the world, and over 60 cities in the world. Anything that moves it that represents an investable asset class, we do it around the world. We're a global institutional asset management. We're also uh, a risk manager. Lots of people say when you invest in stocks, bonds, cash, or currencies, you're really investing in buckets of risk. So it's very important that you understand what kind of risk you're holding in each bucket. So we have a risk business as well called BlackRock Solutions, which has over $16 trillion of, of assets where we we, uh, we steward the risks of uh, other people's assets through, uh, through various quantitative models that really reflect the level of risk they're holding. You so know, those are the two major businesses. So you're either in asset management or risk management or in some support function for one or the other, one or the two sides of the business. So let me tell you what happened to me personally. I, I am the compensation chairman on the board of a public company in which BlackRock invests as, as mm-hmm. an institutional investor. So mm-hmm. when Obi says that they manage other people's money, they invest the money to get a return. Well... In, in corporate America, uh, committees like mine determine what executives get paid. And investors now have the right to have what they call a say on pay. Mm-hmm. BlackRock, BlackRock called my company to say that they wanted to talk to the compensation chair before they voted at our annual meeting. And I'm the compensation chair. And it, oh, it was the most intimidating moment of my adult life. <laughs> because, because, as Obi described it, BlackRock is so big. I certainly did not want to be the person that BlackRock decided they didn't have confidence in to vote for the executive compensation package that I put together, oh, which boy. could have hurt the company. Our other investors would have gotten nervous. Listen, it, it was... It was 
as an adult, I felt like I was going to see the principal. Wow. <laughs> I, said, I said that was a sensitive moment. <laughs> and, they, and they didn't want any management on the phone. Just you. Yeah. They only wanted me. The head of the compensation committee. Well, I know you, you passed that discussion in flying colors. I've known you for years, uh, all the way from state government, and, and your attention to detail uh, and, and your being, uh, it's not being your first rodeo uh, in, in stressful situations. I know you've had with flying colors. Well, that was the first rodeo of that type. <laughs> <laughs> it was a different bull. <laughs> Wrestled it. You but Obi, talk about how you got to this point because you you are basically an entrepreneur who happens to be in corporate America. Indeed, indeed. I have been out of uh, Harvard Business School for forty five years. Um, I started my career uh, many years ago at at, uh, at my alma mater, Tennessee State University, a historical black college in uh, Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, on, on the non-financial side of the business. I was more of a right-brain person, a college recruiter back in those days. And I went to Harvard Business School, and, and I got interested uh, in, in finance, uh, particularly given I, I came from uh, a poor family. We didn't have any money, and I didn't know anything about it. So I, I started studying finance, and I got fascinated with it um, because I wanted to have uh, more than we had when I grew up. Uh, my mother uh, worked on the telephone line, and my father was was a janitor at Naval Avionics, and so I wanted to try to help us dig out of our uh, financial situation. So I, I wanted to study uh, money, which was something we didn't have. Yeah. So I, 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 when I graduated from from Harvard in 1972, uh, I came to Wall Street uh, as a corporate finance associate at Morgan Stanley back in those days. I was the second African-American hired in corporate finance at Morgan Stanley back in 72. And, uh, and my financial career has started then, and it's, I've been there ever since uh, in a number of functions, assistant treasurer in the New York Times newspaper. Uh, as I said, I've owned, I've owned my own broker-dealer and registered investment advisory business. Uh, so I, I've, I've been in a number of functions uh, since graduating from Harvard back in, in 72. So rewind real quick. You just said a, a few terms mm -hmm. in terms of running your own business, broker dealer, all of that. Can yes. you explain yes. what what back, that means? Back back in the day, uh, we had there were a number of of black officials in major cities, and that was really uh, the beginning of some of us who were trained at some of the uh, finer uh, educational institutions to get opportunities. Uh, to, to work in jobs that were uh, historically uh, controlled by, by the majority population. We just didn't get in. And so uh, people like Harold Washington in Chicago and, and some others were insisting that those of us that were trained should have uh, opportunities to fill some of these jobs. So that was the beginning of some of the earlier uh, black financial institutions, the Williams Capitals, the Loop Capitals, uh, began to be developed during those those periods, and so many many large white institutions began to allow us uh, minority players to take the licenses that allowed us to start our own investment firms. Mm -hmm. I mean, those firms still exist today, and, and hire a number of us. So it really was the beginning uh, back in the in the early 70s, late 60s, 
where in fact the 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 uh, the growth of the black mayor and, and other officials on various pension boards insisting that we have equal opportunity opened the door for us to have our own businesses and thus I started McKinsey and Company back back then. Uh, one of the things that that, uh, that has happened over time is that the cost of being in a financial business, those costs have risen, and the margins for those businesses have have, uh, have been uh, reduced. And as a result, the capital necessary to be in those businesses on a standalone basis uh, grew beyond what I thought was intelligent. And that's when I became an entrepreneur rather than an entrepreneur. That, that being, I, I went inside a large corporation, built my own franchise, helped the larger organization make a lot of money so I could get a piece of that, thus entrepreneuring. Because, mm -hmm. uh, you know, because if it, the CEO of BlackRock has a lot more money than I do, and so I let him pay for my, my shiny shoes and, and, and reptiles. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I became an, an entrepreneur. So what, what are one or two of the most important things you would like to see people, just the average person, understand about money? I just love your whole approach to money, your description of money, your philosophy about money, and it, it's, so, it's so intimidating to so many people. I mean, what, what should the average person be thinking as it relates to money? Well, that's, a, that's a great question and one I'd love to answer because when I was back at Harvard in, in, in the 70s, uh, I, I was learning a lot about finance, but I wasn't learning anything about money. How was money created? Who created the money? Who set the cost of money? Uh, when I was at Harvard, I was at Harvard in 1971 when Richard Nixon was president and he decoupled money, uh, the dollars that we carry in our pocket, from gold. At one time, there was an exchange rate between the dollars we carry and gold. And... Uh, when many countries began to exchange their dollars for gold, the gold reserves in the United States began to go down, and Nixon said, wait a minute, we, one of the reasons we're the reserve currency of the world is because in 1944, when the Bretton Woods Conference took place, we had more gold than anybody else, but as, as people holding dollars began to exchange it for gold, our percentage of the gold reserves in the world went down, and Nixon saw that, and so he decoupled gold from the dollar, which was called the Nixon shock. And that, at that point, uh, the U.S. dollar became a fiat currency, which means that it has value just because somebody says so, because somebody, a fiat, says that it's worth something. But one of the things I want people to understand is who makes the money? I didn't realize when I was, at first I didn't realize the implication for the dollar becoming a fiat currency. And second and most important, I didn't realize that the federal government didn't create money. Right. But what? The Federal Reserve Bank does, and the Federal Reserve Bank is not federal. It has no reserves, and it's not a bank. <laughs> and I, had no, I had no idea. So, what? <laughs> so I didn't realize that they had a printing press and they could print money, uh, and that, that the United States government, the Treasury was borrowing money from the Federal Reserve. That's why when you pull a dollar out of your pocket right. and you look at the top of it and it says Federal Reserve note, someone owes someone some interest on a note, right? Right. right. Well, I didn't realize that that we were paying the interest on the note. So right. that's the difference in understanding, you know, finance and understanding money. Right. 
you know, in order, in order to understand what Kissinger and Nixon did with the petrodollar. So, so there's so many things about how money is created, how it is priced, how what inflation really is. You know, I had no idea, even, you know, I, many people don't understand the dollar has lost 90% of its purchasing power since, uh, since 1913 when the Federal Reserve Act was written. And yet, people are told that there's no inflation. Oh, boy. Mm. When we were kids and had to go to the store for milk, bread, and eggs, we know today, you don't have to need a Harvard degree to know that the, that the, the, the bag of milk, bread, and eggs is a lot smaller today than it was before with the same. So that's inflation. Right. So I'm saying there's a whole lot of things that we need to know about money, you know, that uh, versus finance. And business schools don't teach money. They teach finance. They teach ratio analysis. They, yeah. need, they teach you how to tear up a balance sheet and income statement. But they don't teach you about money. And so that's what I would want our constituents to understand is 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 how money is created, how it works. What is the game? How is it played? What is fractional reserve banking? You mean the bank doesn't have your deposit? You mean they can print money out of thin air? Those are the kind of things that I just did not know that I would hope that that our listeners uh, really will, will take a close look at it because it has uh, implications for the way we live our lives, the way we save our money, the way we invest it the way we give it, it has implications for everything. We yeah. have to understand the game. And that's what I want you to talk about next. Once you do get that understanding, what are some of the implications? Well, the implications, first of all, I, I think of money in four in a four cornerstone. I call it Obi's money Rubik's Cube. That is budgeting, saving, investing, and giving. And, and a lot of times uh, we're so busy living from, from check to check in our communities that we don't budget. And as a result, if you don't budget, you can't ever have uh, anything over and above that that you've budgeted to save. And if you don't have any savings, you can't invest. And if you can't invest, then you can't uh, pr uh, produce a rate of return. And as a result, given your dollars are becoming worth less and less, you're really going out the back door and don't know it if, in fact, you don't have money to invest and grow your your financial uh, uh, platform enough to take care of you and your family going forward. And then there's giving, which which you you all know I'm a Bible economist, or is what they call me, and that that that's very critical. The centerpiece for Bible economics is giving, and so those are the four cornerstones for the way I think about about money: budgeting, saving, investing, and giving. And it is important for a balanced financial life to participate in all four of those of those uh, those corners of a, of, a, of a solid financial life. Well, you just described D three, right? Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That, that's why that's why we uh, stay close to you because uh, people with your level of success demonstrate the outcomes of that kind of lifestyle and those kinds of mm -hmm. choices, and that's what we want people to know that it doesn't matter how you start out, the, the choices you make determine how you end up. Right. The, the other thing that, the other, oh, so I couldn't say it any better. The, the, the other thing that I really want people to know is that there, there, are, there are two economies out here. Uh, one is, is, is man's economy, which is motivated by self-interest, the objective is money. 
And that's what we're talking about. But there's another economy uh, that is motivated by love. The objective is abundant life at the year and eternal life in the hereafter. Both of those economies are, are in pursuit of a contented life. One gets you there, the other one doesn't. So one of the things that I espouse to those who, who give me a chance to even say anything about it is that there are two different ways to think about in these two different economies. We come at the, the, the subject of money in two different ways. The Bible says, be you not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by a renewing of your mind. And so your financial health begins with your thinking, as you just pointed out. Yeah. Your, 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 your thoughts become your words. Your, your words become your actions, your actions, your habits, your habits, your character, and your character, your destiny. So it all begins between our two ears. So it's very important for us to have a philosophy about money that will yield a contented life, which both economies are in pursuit of. Man's economy is pursuit of it through money. Right. God's economy is, pursu is it pursues it with a different philosophy. Right. And it's important uh, for to have a balanced life and understand both economies well enough to know which one is most likely to produce abundant life. And so that, that's kind of something else I wanted to share with the listeners because it's so very critical. A lot of folks don't understand there's 2,000 scriptures in the Bible about money. Right. <laughs> the Bible had a lot to say about money, and, 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 and we should want to know. Absolutely. So, Obi, I just can't thank you enough for being on the podcast. I think for us to have heard your story and, you know, understanding how big you play in the, in the whole financial world, but then being able to come back to the ground and we ask you for your insights, it's the basics that we talk about all the time. And for normal people who aren't, you know, managing the money, you know, managing the world's money, managing your own, um, you know, very same principles apply, budget, saving, uh, investing and giving back. Uh, so I'm just, I'm thankful for what you've been able to share with us. Is there a place where uh, folks can go to hear more about your uh, thoughts on Bible economics? Well, I, I really, I, I speak all over the place by invitation. Uh, and it, it, the, the subject is something that God has given me to give back to, to the people. Uh, it is part of my purpose in life. Um, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm getting on up there. I'm, I'll be 74 years old this fall, so I better be diff uh, figuring out how to make a difference while making a living. And that's kind of where... Bible economics fits in, in, in what I'm supposed to do. Uh, getting the message out is the rent I have to pay for the space that, that God has allowed me to occupy for for 73 going on 74 years. So uh, I'm, I'm available by invitation. Uh, pick up the phone, send me an email, and I'll be happy to come and, and share what God has laid on my heart uh, that will hopefully impact a transformation of your mind about a subject called money to yield abundant life. Well, what what you did not mention, Obi, what I will mention is this. You know, Tamika, uh, one of the chief strategists in the civil rights movement who, who really advised Martin Luther King Jr. was Wyatt T. Walker. Mm -hmm. uh, Reverend Wyatt T. Walker uh, had a, a significant pastoral career in New York City. And Obi 
was the adult Sunday school teacher at Y.T. Walker's church in wow. Harlem, New York, for years. And, Many years. And his 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 proudest achievement was that his pastor, White Walker, never had to correct him on anything he taught. Wow. Well, <laughs> that, that, that was really, it was like, a, it, it's better than an MBA. Right. I was going to say, that, that's he a stamp. Could, like, 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 like Pastor Soros, he hears everything that goes on in that church. Right. Uh, so, <laughs> so if you teach him, if he's let you loose to teach the, the, the gospel according to Jesus Christ, uh, he will know if you if you really get uh, get off base doctrinally. Mm. Uh, uh, Dr. Walker used to have a, a speaker in his office so he could hear me teaching. And I would teach flat footed in in the sanctuary. So I never over I was a senior. I was a teacher there for twenty years. Never got called on the carpet doctrinally. Right. Now, a couple other reasons I got a spanking for, but but doctrinally was not one. And so I'm <laughs> proud of that to this day. <laughs> well, good. So that means your Bible economics are strong and solid and sound. Yeah. And, and people don't yeah, have to worry about that. And that's the point. So when we it's, urge people to invite him, he has been he has been certified by one of the leading minds right. <laughs> among African-American clergy who recently went home to be with the Lord. Obi, um, you've been a great contributor to our cause. You've introduced us to very significant people. You've supported us financially. You've spoken at our conference, and I just can't thank you enough for the friendship and the partnership and your willingness to reach out and reach back for younger people who are, who, who are inspired and informed by, by your example. Well, I'm, I'm ready, willing, and able, and call on me, and, and uh, I'm, I'm still standing on the wall. Thank Excellent. you, sir. Thank right. you so much. Right. Enjoy the rest of your day. This is D Free, and we're returning back to New Jersey where things got started for the first time for the D-Free Homecoming Experience. Our annual conference returns October 25th through the 28th at First Baptist Church of Lincoln Gardens in Somerset, New Jersey, where the pastor is also our CEO and founder, Dr. DeForest B. Soares Jr. And we're excited to bring everything back home again. We've traveled around the country, around the world even, sharing the D-Free message and we're bringing it back home. So we look forward to exciting performances, great guest speakers, power pack panels, updated D-Free training. You're going to learn everything you need to know uh, to get D-Free started in your community and to up-level and next-level your D-Free experience for yourself. So join us. Check out the website, www.mydfree.org, to learn more and hope to see you there.